Thank you, Father, for, for loving us. Thank you that uh, our hearts are precious to you, Lord, that um, you're with us to, to keep our hearts, to uh, heal our hearts from trauma, from, from offense. Thank you, Lord, that you've done something in Jesus to uh, protect us from the trespasses people have committed against us. Just thank you, Lord, that uh, and you're setting people free from the hurt they felt at the things other people have said and done, Lord. Thank you, Father, that you're delivering us from the trauma we felt in our lives, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Glory to God. We started talking about forgiveness last week, and so if you haven't heard it, you want to go listen to it because it will factor in to what we talk about today. They'll go together, um, and I don't want to spend too much time re rehashing what, what's going on. But when I talk about forgiveness, I'm talking about the way forgiveness works between human beings and the way forgiveness works in our lives um, with other people, particularly the people that, you know, we spend the most time with, because those are the people you have the most opportunity to be offended with, right? And um, th those are the, the, the relationships that, that can cause us the most pain. Right. Really, it's it's the, the people that we we love the most or that we think are supposed to love us the most, um, where there's the greatest opportunity for us to stumble at the truth. Right. In situations with them where we stumble at the truth about them and we stumble at the truth about ourselves and our life and our ability to partake of life. Right. So when we talk about forgiveness in relationships, we're not talking about something that we do. Right. You, you can't do forgiveness. You can't make an intellectual choice to decide to forgive somebody. That's not what forgiveness is about. Forgiveness is about God or forgiveness is something God serves you with in order to heal your life from the trespasses that people have committed against you. Right. Forgiveness is actually a fruit of faith is what it is. It's something that the faith that is in Jesus Christ, the faith that came in Jesus Christ, will produce inside of you. And the reason why it comes to produce it inside of you is because God sees you're dwelling in the earth where there's death and corruption and tribulation everywhere. And he sees that that tribulation, that corruption, can fill people with the lust for life and it can take them captive to their own lust for life. And he sees that because of that, you're living in a world, you're walking with people, and out of those people can sometimes come the fruit of death. And that when the fruit of death comes out of them towards you, when they trespass against you or they find themselves trespassing against you, God sees that those trespasses that try to come against your life, they want to do something to sting your heart with death. They want to do something to give a judgment to you or a word to you about your life. They want to do something where they come and shape your thoughts about yourself, your thoughts about other people, and your thoughts about what you need to partake of life. God sees that. And so God wants to do something in your heart to where your heart could be healed from that, where your life can be delivered from the trespasses that people will commit against you. I don't know if they're, I mean, I think everybody in here is old enough to realize people are going to trespass against you. It's going to happen. You're not going to avoid people trespassing against you, right? And in those moments, you're being tempted. You're being tempted to make a judgment about your life, yourself, them, and your ability to partake of life. You're being tempted in those moments, right? And in those moments, you're tempted to believe a lie about whether you're as you're, you ought to be 
I mean, I, I don't know about you guys. I remember when I was a little kid, a, a teacher, right? My intensity, my intensity can cause people problems, right? And many times, if they feel pressed in on by my intensity, they're going to try to comfort themselves. And the way they're going to try to comfort themselves is come and tell me there's something wrong with me, right? And so a teacher came to me because I was so intense, and she'd come and tell me, you're too intense for everybody. You've got to be sat out of recess. Well, don't you know, in that moment, I was being tempted to believe that I wasn't as I ought to be. And I had this traumatic experience that was trying to tell me you're not as you ought to be. You see, we've all experienced things like that. We've all experienced things in our lives where we, we were being tempted to believe that we're not as we ought to be, that our life isn't as it ought to be, that what we need to experience life isn't present with us. In that moment with the teacher, do you know what I thought I needed to experience life? I needed her to have a good opinion of me. I needed the people around me to look at me, and when they looked at me, I needed them to agree that I'm good, that I'm a good little boy, right? You see, but in that moment, I didn't have that. In that moment, I didn't have a good report that was present with me, and the world was tempting me right there. The voice of the stranger was tempting me to judge myself by the trespass that woman committed against me trying to convince me that my ability to partake of life was now somehow uh, being circumvented. And it was tempting me to believe that I'm not as I ought to be because I am intense. And now look what she's saying about it. I do have an intensity. And so we've all experienced things like that where people have trespassed against us. And in those moments, the voice of the stranger is trying to tell you what's wrong with you that they did this. It's also trying to tell you what's wrong with them that they did this. And the thing that it's using to plant those ideas in your heart is it's also coming and telling you that because of what they've said, because of what they've done, you don't have what you need to partake of a good life. That they're now in the way, what they've said and done is in the way of you having everything you need for life and godliness. Right? That's what is tempting all of us to believe. We've all encountered that. Right. And as a disclaimer, I don't want people to confuse what I'm saying intellectually. We're not trying to get to the place where we no longer feel hurt if somebody transgresses us. Or if somebody trespasses against us, there's still going to be a sting if somebody does something that isn't born from life. If somebody says and does something that's hurtful, there's still going to be a sting. But what we don't want is that sting to be able to incubate inside of our heart. We want to understand what the sting is. We want to understand why it stings so much. Because if we come out with the right diagnosis about what the sting is, why does it sting so much, what will happen is we'll look to the right medicine. You know, if you go to a doctor to get a diagnosis about what ails you, if you have a pain in your body, if you have a pain in your head, if you have a pain somewhere, anywhere in your body, if you go to the doctor and they give you the wrong diagnosis, don't you know that the prescription they give you is also going to be wrong? Right? And so if we don't have the right diagnosis, we're not going to take the right medication. And something we want to begin to understand about when people trespass against us, we want to understand what is the sting we feel. We want to understand why we feel a sting. Because if we diagnose those things properly, we'll begin connecting to the right medicine. And the right medicine is coming to the understanding that everything you need to experience life is found in God. 
And the reason why you even feel a sting when somebody trespasses against you is because you think what they've done to you, what you think what they've said to you can steal life from you. You think that what's happened there is somehow a stumbling block to you having some good thing you need to experience life. That's why you feel a sting. It's called the sting of death. And so it isn't so much what the people have done to you. It's that in what they've done to you, in what you, what's happened to you, in what they've said to you, what's happening is something's trying to tell you you lack some good thing you need for life. Look, Greg, what you need for life is you need for this teacher to say that you're good and your intensity is good. But she didn't say that. She come and said the opposite. She said, you're not as you ought to be. You don't have something you need for life. And immediately I felt like my, naked, my nakedness was uncovered. And looking in the scriptures, that's what it talks about for your nakedness to be uncovered. Where you, you th- I, I don't have life. And immediately you start to feel a certain kind of way because you don't have what you need for life. And then you start to try to figure out why you don't have what you need for life. You'll blame a person, you'll blame yourself, and then your life becomes shaped by it. Don't you know my whole life became shaped by what that woman said? And do you know what lie I believed? My intensity is in the way of a good life. I need people to like me. I need people to accept me. And this intensity is keeping people from liking me and accepting me. And so my whole life was born from, I've got to do something to bottle that up. So then I remove myself from people, trying to have life. And I try to act a certain way so that people will agree that I'm good so that I can have life. Right? Forgiveness comes to heal us from that and to protect our hearts from that. Right? And that's why we're talking about this. So that our hearts, the sting of death that comes, when people trespass against us, can't be incubated or planted in our heart, but that sting is sent away from us, right? Where our lives aren't shaped by the things people say and do to us. I mean, does everybody agree it's bad enough that people can say and do things to us that hurt? That's bad enough. Well, let us not have our whole lives shaped by the hurt. Let us not have our whole lives born from the trauma of what they've said and done, right? Glory to God. So that's, that's the, the, the reason we're talking about this. So I don't want anybody to try to say, okay, now the, the end goal is to never feel hurt again. That's not the end goal. The end goal is to find our lives healed anytime trespasses are committed against us instead of those trespasses shaping our hearts, shaping our thoughts, shaping our lives, tormenting us for you know, any, any lengthy period of time. So I just, I'm going to say this again. Forgiveness isn't something we do. You can't perform forgiveness. You can't decide to forgive. It's not an intellectual thing. It's something that happens inside of you. It's something that God serves you with. It's something that God does to heal your life from the trespasses that have been committed against you. It's something he produces inside of you through what he's done in Jesus. And by continuing to show you what he's done in Jesus and to continue to talk to you about your life in light of what he's done in Jesus, right? Glory to God. So last week we left off with um, 
Jesus saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And for those of you that haven't spent your lives reading the Bible or knowing about the Bible, Jesus said that when he was being nailed to a cross. He said that when people were nailing him to a tree. Can anybody imagine something worse happening to you than the people you came to love? You actually came to save them. And you're walking around all the time only doing good, never asking anything from them. You're just walking around and healing them all the time and telling them about the love of God to deliver them. Imagine that, and then they nail you to a cross. They strip you naked. They flog you to death. They put a crown of thorns on your head. They spit at you. They mock you. They tear down your identity. They disrespect you. They dishonor you, and then they nail you to a cross. Can anybody imagine something worse than that happening to you? I mean, that's like, maybe you can, we can get level with that, but that's like the height of it, isn't it? I mean, that's like the, the peak. I've been watching the Tour de France, and a couple weeks ago, they had the highest mountain finish, the highest peak. That's like the peak of the trespass that can be committed against you. Now, in the place of that happening, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, Jesus wasn't working a principle. He wasn't like the good and the right thing to do was to forgive the people who hurt you. And if I can get that right, then I'll have life. That's not what Jesus was doing. There was a faith in Jesus' heart that produced forgiveness in him on the cross. And when I say there was a faith in his heart that produced forgiveness, what I'm saying is, is there was a faith working inside of him. And what that faith did is it sent the sin that people committed against him away from him. And it also sent it away from them. It was like a two-edged sword. We talk about killing two birds with one stone. Is that how it goes? Kill two birds with one stone. How do you get that right? Now that I think about it, we do say that, but how does that happen? <laughs> I'm like, does the stone like break off? And then I don't know if that makes sense, man. I'm going to have to revisit that nursery rhyme. <laughs> we'll talk about some other nursery rhymes today. Say that again, Dad. Ricochet. All right. It takes the NASA engineer, the rocket science. You have to have a big enough stone. <laughs> The birds are intertwined. We got people in here that are much smarter than me. <laughs> but uh, there was a faith in his heart. And that faith dwelling in his heart sent the trespass they were committing against him away from him. Right? And it sent it away from them. And that's why he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And, and so just to, to rehash a little bit of it, what happened there is Jesus judged a righteous judgment about the unrighteous thing that was happening to him. It was not right what was happening to him. That's true. But how did he get it right for his heart not to impute what the people did to them to them? And how did he get it right not to take it personally? How did he get it right not to think that what they're doing means there's something wrong with me? How did he get it right not to judge his life as evil by what they did? So he, you can judge a righteous judgment about an unrighteous thing. 
And if you come out with the right judgment or the right conclusion about the bad things that happened to you, it will result in liberty inside of you. It will result in your life being kept from the trauma of what happened to you. And I want to tell you, the worst thing that, that happens to you isn't the bad that actually happens to you. The worst thing that happens to you is what you think about the bad things that happened to you. That's where the temptation really lies, right? We're so afraid or we're so upset about the things that happened to us, but what people can say and do to us, that's not really the thing that can steal life from us. And I just want to say it this way. Jesus knew that nothing the people could say or do to him could keep him from life. He knew that nothing the people could say or do to him could separate him from what he needed to experience peace and love and joy. He knew that nothing the people could do to him could keep him from partaking in the life that he needed. Nothing they can do can separate me from the love of God. And he knew that these people can't remove the Father from my presence. These people can't take me out of the Father's loving embrace. And so he didn't think that that was the problem there going on there. And I think most of us, right, we get so focused on what people said and done as if that's what hurt. Well, there can be a sting in your body when I go and run or go work out. Brandy, when you go work out and run, sometimes it don't feel good, does it? It feels uncomfortable, right? But we never walk away thinking that our life was harmed. It's what we believe about the discomfort we feel that either produces life or death. And so it's not so much what people said and done to you. It's what you think about what they've said and done. That's what we're talking about. And so we want to start interpreting the things people have said and done through the faith that was revealed in Jesus Christ. Right. So Jesus saw the things the people were saying and doing to him. He saw that they had a voice. He actually heard the voice and he heard the voice telling him he was separated from what he needed to partake of life. How many of you just look at Jesus on the cross and think he didn't have what he needed? I mean, if we're just being honest. I mean, that's what it looks like, doesn't it? I mean, we think, how many of you want to be naked in the middle of the square on a hill? We all came today wearing clothes. <laughs> so we think it's a good thing to have clothes. Well, this dude didn't have no clothes. How many of you think you have what you need if you've been nailed to a cross? Well, we see this guy nailed to a cross. And so it looks like he doesn't have what he needs. So Jesus, that's the voice Jesus was hearing. And so when they nailed him to a cross, yeah, it didn't feel good in his physical body. But he started to understand the real temptation here was the voice those things were trying to tell him. It wasn't so much what the people said and did. It's what those things were trying to communicate to his heart. It's the belief they were screaming in his face. Just like we're talking about death is not your end. Jesus is. Right. And so those things the people said and did to him were screaming in his face. And what they were trying to tell him is that you're separated from some good thing you need to have life. And I want you to start understanding your heart. When somebody says and does something to you that isn't right, it isn't what they said and they did. It's what it's trying to communicate to your heart. And do you know what it's trying to communicate to your heart? That you don't have some good thing you need to experience life. And what they're doing is now a stumbling block or in the way of you having what you need to partake of life. I want you to understand what your heart is experiencing. I want you to understand why it stings, why it's bothering you, why you can get upset. We want to diagnose it right. Okay? So there's Jesus. He hears the voice. He understands these things are telling me I'm separated from what I need to partake of life. But then the Holy Spirit interceded in Jesus' heart. 
You know where Romans 8 says that the Holy Spirit intercedes in our hearts with words that can't be uttered? When does it say the Holy Spirit does that? It says when we're filled with infirmity or weakness, right? And do you know when Paul talks about when that is, is when he was shipwrecked, when he was flogged, when he was not eating, when he was, uh, you can run down the list in Romans 8, all the different horrible things he says that, that he encountered. And he says, in the place of encountering those things, those things were trying to tell me that I was a lamb without a shepherd. Those things were trying to tell me that I'm separated from the love of God, that I'm separated from some good thing I need to have life. But then he says the Holy Spirit intercedes in our hearts in the midst of those moments with words that can't be uttered. And what does he say right before that about what the Holy Spirit does? He says the Holy Spirit immerses you in the life of God by coming and showing you God is with you to be the father of your life. That's what the Holy Spirit intercedes in your heart in the midst of the world telling you you're separated from what you need to have life. In the midst of the world telling you it's what these people are saying and doing to you that is stealing life from you. In the midst of all those things happening, the Holy Spirit is with you to intercede in your heart and to paint an image of the Father there in your presence and the Father's life in your presence and you seeing everything you need for life is in the Father. You start to see nothing these people say or do can separate me from the love of God. You see, but the world tells you that what people say and do to you can separate you from what you need. That's why we get so upset. And so there's Jesus on the cross. He sees the cross. He sees the nakedness. He sees none of these things are born from life. None of these things are right. And he's hearing the voice telling him he's separated from what he needs for life. He hears the voice telling him he doesn't have everything he needs for peace and love and joy. And the Holy Spirit intercedes in his heart in that place. And what the Holy Spirit does is lifts up the Father in his sight. The Holy Spirit lifts up the life that's in the Father in his sight. And in that moment when Jesus hears those voices telling him he doesn't have what he needs, he sees everything he needs in the Father. And he sees that what he needs isn't found in how the people treat him. What he needs is found in the Father, and the Father is there. Right? The world has told you that what you need is wrapped up in how people see you. The world has taught you that what you need is wrapped up in how people treat you, and what they say to you, and what they do to you. That's a lie. I don't care how good you can get everybody to treat you. I don't care how perfect you can get everybody to behave towards you. You can get the whole world to agree that you're good. Ain't none of those things can conquer the grave. Ain't none of those things can bring you out of the grave. Ain't none of those things have a life that even conquers death in the flesh. And that's what it is you're needing is a life that can conquer death in the flesh. That's the only thing that can satisfy your desire for life is a life that conquers death in the flesh. You can't get that from people. But that's what we've been taught. Innocently, we've learned. We're looking for signs that we're as we ought to be. We're looking for signs that our life is as it ought to be. And brothers and sisters, we're not looking to the place that's the only sign. What we've been taught to do is look for the sign in other people and how they treat us. And if they treat us good, we're as we ought to be. Our life is as it ought to be. But if they come and say things and do things to us that isn't born from life, if we feel hurt from the people that were supposed to love us, what we then say is our life isn't as it ought to be. And that's when you're offended. 
You can't be offended with somebody unless you think they can steal from you. You can't be offended with somebody unless you think what they do can take life from you. It's not possible. And so Jesus wasn't offended with the people on the cross because he saw nothing they can say or do to me can keep me from the Father and the life that's in the Father. And that's what I need right now. The comfort I need is found in the Father. It's not found in these people treating me right. Does it feel good when people mistreat you? No. You know what it feels? It feels uncomfortable. It hurts. Well, the comfort you need isn't found in them treating you right. The comfort you need is found in the Father and the life he has in himself. The good reputation you desire. It's a little bit different in my generation and the generation under me. They don't say it so much. You only got your name. Oh, you got your integrity. You hear what that's saying? Life and death is found in your reputation in the world. That's not true. You can get everybody to give you a good reputation in the world. That can't bring you out of the grave. And in fact, Jesus didn't have a good reputation from anyone. In fact, everyone despised his name. He was labeled a heretic, a blasphemer of God. And yet, the good reputation he desired was found in the Father, calling him son. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So we all think that part of having life is to have a good name, a good reputation. Well, the only thing that can actually satisfy your desire for a good name or a good reputation is to see what God has said about you in that he's poured out of himself his life. There, there now your desire satisfied. So when someone's gossiping about you, when someone's speaking evil about you, understand the reason why it hurts. Because you think in order to have life, you got to have a good reputation. But the good reputation you, you're desiring is not found in what other people say and do to you. The good reputation you're desiring is found in what God believes about you in the honor and respect God has given you when he came into the earth and laid down his own life so that he could pour out of himself his life onto you. What must the God of all glory think about you that he's honored you? So people mistreat you. You want to be respected. Men want to be respected. Men receive love by respect, in fact. And so when the men don't think their wife or their girlfriend respects them, it's like a smack in the face. Well, back. What do I want to say to the men is the respect that you desire, the respect that's part of a good life isn't found in your wife respecting you. It's found in the Father of lights having respected you by calling you his child. That will keep your heart from being offended. In the day, your wife might have a hard time or your girlfriend might have a hard time and she's not trying to disrespect you, but she's being afflicted by something in her life. And she's being stung with death. And her nakedness is being uncovered. And the world's nailing her to a cross. And all she can think about is trying to preserve her own life. All she can think about is trying to get comfort for herself. Well, you might become collateral damage in that moment, guys. But that can't separate you from the respect that you're desiring because the respect you're desiring is only found in God. And in that moment where you feel pressed in on and you think that you don't have the respect that you need and you think that your life isn't as it ought to be because your wife or your girlfriend isn't respecting you, I want you to understand what's happening and what you're actually desiring you can only find in God. And your wife disrespecting you can't separate you from the respect God's given you in Jesus. 
but it will try to tell you it can. It will. It won't shut up. And then you can't make it shut up. But I tell you what, when you see the respect God has given you, it will shut the mouth of the accuser. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine speaking against the people of God? Jesus saw nothing can separate me. Nothing the people are saying and doing to me can separate me from the Father's love. That's what he saw on the cross. Not even the cross can keep me from the comfort and the peace and the love and the joy that's in the Father's hands. That's what we want to start connecting with when people trespass against us. Because that's what the trespasses are trying to tell us. That it can keep us from some good thing we need. No, the gospel comes and says that God has a life in himself that nothing people say or do to you can keep you from. Right? And you start connecting with that. Jesus desired to be honored. He knows what it's like to want to be honored. Everybody in here wants to be honored. Everybody in here wants to be respected. Everybody in here wants to be accepted. Jesus also desired those things. He felt the hurt that comes when people reject you. He wasn't indifferent to it. He wasn't like, look at what I can do. I'm God. For some of you who don't know, it's Mad TV, right? I don't know the guy's name, but you can look it up. Stuart. Stuart's all, look at what I can do. <laughs> Jesus didn't come into the earth indifferent to hurt and just say, look what I can do. Try and do it too. He felt the hurt. He wanted to be respected. He wanted to be honored. He wanted to be accepted. He didn't come to be rejected. He didn't come wanting to be rejected. He knew he would be rejected, but he felt the hurt that comes when people reject you and dishonor you and disrespect you. He felt it. He felt it. And in that place, though, Jesus made a righteous judgment like we were talking about. He saw the acceptance and the honor and the respect that could give him life was in the Father not the people, you see? The only reason why you want honor and respect and acceptance is because you think it can give you life. The only honor and respect and acceptance that actually has life in it to give you is the Father's honoring and respecting and accepting you. That's it. And Jesus knew that. So he didn't judge his life by the sins the people were committing against him. See, we tend to get in the habit of doing that. We tend to get in the habit of judging our life by the sins the people commit against us. We begin weighing our life in the balance in light of the sins that are committed against us, as if that's the metric we're weighing whether we have life or not. Are they treating me good? Or are they treating me bad? They love me. They love me not. They love me. They love me not. I have life. I don't have life. I have life. I don't have life. See, Jesus didn't do that because he always saw everything that's needed to experience life. All the nutrients that are needed to experience life is in the Father, in the life that the Father has given that I could have in myself. And so he never judged his life by the sins the people committed against him. When that woman told me I was too much for people, do you see how I judged my life by her accusation? What she said to me I used what she said, and I judged my life by it. I used what she said to judge whether I was as I ought to be or not. 
and whether I had what I needed for a good life. Jesus didn't do that when the people were nailing him to a cross. There was one metric he used to determine whether or not he had everything he needed for life. And that was the Father is in me and I am in the Father. He actually prays that in John 17. And then he prays that we would know the same thing. It goes on to say, I pray not that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the world. How do you think he keeps us from the world? He keeps us from the world by showing us everything we need for life and godliness. It's found in the fact that we're in the Father and the Father's in us. The life the Father has in himself is in us. And we're in the life the Father has in himself. Everything we need for life and godliness is right here present with us all of the time. That moment when that woman said to me, I was too intense and my heart judged that I didn't have some good thing I needed to have life. That was a lie because the father was right there with me and everything I needed for life was in his loving embrace. But I just couldn't see it. You can think to every time in your life where somebody said and did something to you that you thought was in the way of some good thing that you needed. And I promise you, in every one of those situations, I don't care what they said or did to you, you had everything you needed because God was there. And his arms were open, embracing you there. And everything you needed was found in his arms. You just hadn't been taught. You hadn't heard where the life was that you were longing for is found. And the world had come and told you the life you were longing for is found in how people treat you and what they say to you. But that was never true. That was always a lie, right? That, that gave Jesus eyes to discern the hearts of the people that were doing that to him. See, because he didn't see what they were doing to be able to separate him from life. It set him free to see what was happening to their life. Right? And, and what Jesus saw there is that the people were doing what they did ignorantly in unbelief. When he saw the people, he saw the people as sheep without a shepherd. He saw that the people couldn't see God with them to give their lives the care they needed. And because they couldn't see God there caring for their lives, they were slaves to their own lust for life. And they were walking after the flesh, right? They were taken captive by the affliction that had come against their life. And now they were just trying to heal themselves from their own affliction, right? The people who said, we want to have eyes to discern spiritually people's hearts. Jesus doesn't judge people's hearts based on the fruit that's coming out of them. He sees the fruit comes from a certain belief. And he sees what produces that belief. He sees that it's the sting of death that is sin. So in the day these people are saying and doing these hurtful things to me, Jesus sees the reason why they would be doing that isn't because of him or something they see in him. It's because these people's hearts have been stung by death. And so he could see into the heart of those people. The people who have said and did hurtful things to you, if you could see into their hearts, you would see that they were blinded by their own affliction. You could see that they were trying to cope with their own affliction. You would see that what they said and did to you isn't a judgment about you. 
you would see the only judgment about why they said and did these things to me is because they were trying to clothe themselves. They were trying to comfort themselves from their own affliction. And in them trying to clothe themselves and them trying to come down off of their own cross because of their unbelief, they now have done these things and said these things to you. Like that woman that told me I was too intense. She felt afflicted by my intensity. I made her feel uncomfortable. And because I made her feel uncomfortable and she didn't know God was there to comfort her, she tried to comfort herself. And the only way she could comfort herself was by speaking against me. You see that? Hebrews talks about our parents, our earthly parents, our earthly fathers chastising us. And it says that our earthly fathers, as nice as they are, some of us have had great earthly fathers that many times when they've chastised us, it was for their own benefit and not ours. And parents, some of you that have kids, you know what I'm talking about. There's times where you've seen your kids doing stuff and you feel uncomfortable. You feel separated from peace. You feel separated from life. And your discipline and your chastisement was to try to give yourself peace. That's okay. You're not God. God doesn't expect you to be God. He's not faulting you because that happened. I use that as an example so we can begin to understand. So many times the things people have said and done to us isn't because of us. Isn't because there's something wrong in us or about us. It's because they feel afflicted and they don't know God's with them to comfort them. And now they're trying to comfort themselves. And the way they're going to try to comfort themselves is by coming against us. You see that dynamic? So many times the hurtful things people have said and done to us is because the affliction they feel it doesn't really have anything to do with us. But then we take what they've said and done as a judgment into our hearts. And then we live by that word as if that word had come from the father of lights himself. And we walk around with it. If you could see into their hearts, you would see they were stung by death. You would see the world was nailing them to a tree. That's what the woman felt because of my intensity. And I don't want to get too psychology filled on people, but there's a million different reasons. That woman could have grown up in a house where her brothers were intense. And she could have felt that she was never seen because they were so vocal. That woman could have grown up in a house where her father was filled with affliction and he took his affliction out on his kids and she could have grown up in a house being stung by fear and death because of her dad. And there I was, all intense. I ain't got nothing to do with any of that. But she feels like a trigger, a PTSD. And all she feels in that moment is that her nakedness is being uncovered and she's being nailed to a cross. And all she can think of is how she needs to get down off the cross. And all she can think of is how she can clothe herself. And because she doesn't know God with her to heal her, what she's going to do is she's going to come and come against me. That's happened to all of us. That's why it's called the temptation common too. Man. Man doesn't mean just men. In the beginning in Genesis, it says, let us make man, male and female, made he them. So man, mankind, means male and female. Right? One of the reasons we struggle to experience forgiveness when people hurt us 
is we scapegoat them for the pain we feel. Because we don't understand the pain we feel. I find most people don't understand themselves. It's impossible to understand other people if you don't understand yourself. I didn't understand myself. It's not like some negative sign about you if you don't understand yourself. What I want to say to you is you weren't really created to be able to understand yourself. You were created to see God there with you, and then in knowing God, you would begin to understand. (laughs) Do you see what I'm saying? And so it's not some horrible thing that you don't understand, but most people don't understand themselves, and so they never understand why they feel hurt, and they never even begin having a conversation to understand why they feel hurt. Well, how can they ever understand what they think is going to heal them from that hurt? Most of the time, do you know what we think will heal us from the hurt we've experienced? Is if we blame the people. That's what we think. If we impute the sin to them, if we can make them sorrowful enough, if we can make them feel bad enough about it, if we can hold them accountable, then they'll start acting right, and then when they act right, we can get what we need for life. Do you see how bankrupt it is? You can never get what you need from other people. You can share life with people, and you can come together with people, and you can together see that God gives you everything you need, and you can find yourself doing nice things for one another, but you can never get what you need for life from another person. Young guys, if you're thinking about getting married down the road, what will save you a lifetime of misery is for you guys to realize that neither one of you can satisfy the other one and that neither one of you can find your needs met by the other one, that only God can satisfy each of your needs. And if you're looking to find life out of one another, that will serve you with a lifetime of misery. It will serve you with a lifetime of judging one another, accusing one another, attacking one another, devouring one another. And since we're in the South, a real wise guy named Jim Dixon describes it this way. It's like two ticks and no dog. It takes me a thousand words to explain these things because in my mind, it's all, ooh. but Jim's like, it's like two ticks and no dog. And I'm like, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> That'll preach. Immediately, everybody understands that. We scapegoat people for the pain we feel because we don't understand what it is that we feel. We just know we feel something and we see that this situation is involved with what we feel. Right? And so most of the time, we think the hurt we feel when someone transgresses us is because of what they did. It's what they did is the problem here. But really, the reason we feel hurt is the sting of death. It's not what they did. It's that what they did, the trespass they committed against us, is trying to tell us we lack something we need. And if they hadn't have done that, then we'd have what we need. That's why we feel hurt. We, we see it as our sign As a sign, our life, our reputation, and our identity is being stolen from. That's why we feel hurt. We see what they did as a hindrance to us experiencing some good thing we need for life. That's why it hurts so bad. I know in my own relationships, my poor wife has to live with me. My poor wife had to live with me dealing with all this. I may be the most offended person that ever lived. And not offense like we think of, but I mean stumbling at the truth about myself, about my life, where life is found. And I'm one of these hard-headed people where I'll suffer long. And I've suffered in my life through the weight of all my offense. I have. I have suffered in life. But I'm also the kind of guy that after I suffer long and hard, I get a revelation. And it sticks. And it doesn't get moved. 
right? But in my own life, I realized the reason why I would get offended is because I thought the pain I felt was because these people said and did these things to me. That's what I thought. But then I realized the reason I felt pain. Then I got a proper diagnosis. I start to understand myself and what I feel. Why do I feel this? I didn't just say, I feel it and that's it. No, why do I feel this? Why? And God, I didn't come up with that on my own. God come and ask me. What do you, why do you feel this way, Greg? What's going on? And he didn't come and tell me that like I shouldn't feel it, but he was trying to show me why I really felt what I felt so that I can make a righteous judgment about the hurt that I felt. Because if I can make a righteous judgment about why I felt hurt, I can begin to see that the answer to the hurt I feel isn't found in other people. It's found in seeing God with me. And it's found in seeing everything I need, even when people hate me, isn't separated from me. It's found in God's loving embrace. Hallelujah. See, the hurt tries to blind you to the presence of the Father. It tries to blind you to the fact that everything you have ever needed in any moment has always been there in the Father. Right? When I could see everything I needed was in the Father and not how people treated me or what they did to me, forgiveness began working in me. I didn't try to forgive. He come and showed me the truth. He come and discerned my heart for me and showed me what I was really wanting. And he come and showed me where I could find what I was really wanting. And all of a sudden I became persuaded, oh, I can't find what I'm really wanting in people. What? You can actually start to like people, even people with weird quirks. I mean, once I saw that, forgiveness began working in me, and it started sending away from me the lies and the trauma that had come against my life. When I saw that death and lack was what was warring against my heart and not what the people did to me, what happened was my heart stopped keeping a record of the wrongs that were committed against you. The only reason why your heart keeps a record of the wrongs that were committed against you is if you think the wrongs that were committed against you stole something from you. And the reason your heart keeps a record of it is because it doesn't want to be stolen from again. Soldiers experience it. It's called PTSD. See, when you, when you see in God is a life that can't be stolen from, your heart stops keeping a record of the wrongs because it no longer perceives what people say or do to be able to take from you. And so you... It, it, just, it just happens organically. You don't try for it to happen. You just talk with the Father about what it means that he has life in himself and what kind of life he has in himself and how he's given that you could have his life also in yourself. And you start coming to the knowledge of the kind of life that you have, right? And you start coming to the place where you realize, oh, I got the kind of life that can't be stolen from. Dang, that is nice, <laughs> right? You're no longer examining people to see if they're treating you right or acting right. Right? I saw the answer wasn't found in how people behave towards me. It was found in looking to the Father and the life I shared in the Father. So every time I felt hurt, I still feel hurt when people say and do things to me. But what happens is, is in that place, I see what I need is Daddy. I need Abba. Everything I need is found in His life. And I completely look away from what they've said and what they've done. And I go and start talking with God about how I have all things in Him. <laughs> I start thanking God that I have acceptance in Him. That the good name I desire is in Him. That the reputation I desire is in him. The respect I long for, it's in him. 
right? You start to see nothing can separate you from the love of the Father. That doesn't mean nothing can separate you from God feeling nice about you. We talk about actions speak louder than words. Well, it's true the Father feels nice about you. But out of him feeling nice about you, the love that comes forth is the kind of love that pours out of himself his life onto you. And so if he's poured out his life onto you, when it says nothing can separate you from the love of the Father, it's not like a Valentine's Day card. It's saying nothing can separate you from the life the Father has in himself. Do you think what the people say or do can take life from the Father? We saw that whole thing put to the test, didn't we? I mean, it says, a child shall be born unto you, and you shall call him Emmanuel, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. And so there's Jesus. He, the Father has given that Jesus would have the Father's life in himself, and now we see every horrible thing that the world can do to somebody, and so we see whether or not the world can steal from the life of God because Jesus has got the life of God in him. And now every trespass that could ever happen against somebody happens to this man, Jesus. And do you know what we see in that man, Jesus? Not even the death of the cross could steal from him. Whose life do you have? We've been taught by the world that we have the world's life. Most of our thoughts about life have been shaped by the life that's been born from the world and what the life in the world says you need. Does that make any sense? I'm going to skip down. Um, to this, we'll finish with this, because I don't think many people connect these things together, but the power to experience forgiveness in our lives, right? It's something you experience. It's not something you can muster up. The power to experience forgiveness in our lives and in the situations where people trespassed against us is actually found in the forgiveness of sin or what the Bible calls about the forgiveness of sin. You see, the thing that's happened is, is we haven't really been taught the forgiveness of sin the way it was intended to be taught. And that's left us not experiencing the power of the forgiveness of sin. And what I want to say by that is our Western theology and our understanding of the cross and our definition of forgiveness has taught us that forgiveness or the forgiveness of sin is that God was offended with us. So we say we shouldn't be offended, but God is. And we don't realize that we've been worshiping a God we describe as being offended. And we don't realize that the God we worship is going to be born in us. Because after all, we're the image of God. And so we've described the forgiveness of sin as if God was offended with us because of our bad behavior. And then the forgiveness of sin is God got it right to no longer be angry with us by taking out his anger on Jesus. That's how we've described it. I don't know, guys, we don't think about these kinds of things, but do you realize that's not really forgiveness? How many of you think you can go punish somebody with death to help you forgive someone else? How many of you think that's okay? Right? None of us think that's okay. In fact, all of us think we're supposed to forgive people freely. 
But then that's not how we describe God. We say God had to exact a pound of flesh to forgive us. What's that forgiveness? That's payment. And then we wonder why we demand payment from people to forgive them. We got to make sure we see the right amount of remorse, the right amount of repentance, because that's how we judge God and the forgiveness of sin. John 1.29 says, The next day John sees Jesus coming unto him and says, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Which takes away the sin of the world. Now we've read that as, well, we've been bad boys and girls, and God was real mad at us, and the Lamb took away God's anger with us. And because that's what we've thought about it all the time, we've never found the strength to work forgiveness in us, born in us. Because we hadn't really looked at it right. Right? The word forgiveness, do you know what it means? Do you think it means to not be angry with somebody anymore when you look in the Bible at that word forgiveness? Guess what? It doesn't mean to not be angry with them anymore. That's not what it means. It doesn't have any connotation to that. You know the word forgiveness in Greek and Hebrew? Do you know what it means? It means to send away. It means to divorce one party from another. It means to separate two things that are joined together. And in fact, when a Hebrew guy was upset with his wife and wanted to write a paper of divorce, do you know what he would say when he came in the door? I forgive you, you can go. He, he wasn't saying, I'm not mad at you anymore. He was saying, I'm sending you away. I've divorced myself from you. You're free to go. And so forgiveness is about divorcing one party from another. Now, we've only looked at forgiveness from the perspective of God taking away the sins we commit. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we've only looked at that from the perspective of God taking away the sins we commit. But guys, it's, in, it's not just talking about God taking away from us the sins we've committed. It's talking about God taking away the destruction that's come against our lives. That's what it's talking about. It's talking about the forgiveness of sin, the taking away of the sin of the world. It's talking about God providing a lamb to send away from us the death and destruction that's come upon our lives from sin. It's talking about him divorcing us from the death and destruction that's in the world. It's talking about him destroying our fellowship with death. It's talking about him destroying our fellowship with the old man, the man who's clothed in a life that can suffer harm. It's talking about destroying our union to a corruptible life. It's God seeing that we're suffering in the earth because our lives are earth, earthy. They're not born from above. They're just dust. And he's seeing that because our lives are born from the world, that we're trying to find life in all the things in the world, and that our lives are subject to what people say and do to us. And he sees the torment it's bringing to us. He sees the pain that it's stinging our hearts with. He sees the trauma that it's shaping our lives with. He sees all those things. And the forgiveness of sin is about God forbidding the sins people will come in against you from being attached to your life. It's him doing something to send away from you the things people can say and do to you. It's not just him not imputing your sins to you. It's him not allowing the trespasses people commit against you to be imputed to you. Because it bothers him to see that that could happen to you. 
right? Forgiveness is God healing your life from sin. The way he heals your life from sin is he sends away from you the death and destruction that sin brought to your house. That's what the forgiveness of sin is. He sees sin entered the world and that sin brought death and destruction to your house. Not just your own unbelief brought death and destruction, but other people's unbelief brought death and destruction to your house. And it grieved God's heart that you were partaking in a life that was at the mercy of death and destruction. So he sent his lamb, he provided a lamb in order to send away from you the death and destruction that could come to your house from this world and anything anyone in this world could say or do to you ever. God sent away from you the sins people committed against you. If that's what we thought about every time we thought about the forgiveness of sin, we'd find forgiveness working in us. If instead of thinking God's not angry with me anymore, I thought God sent away from me all the death and destruction that's tried to come upon me because of what people said and did, I'd find forgiveness working in me. But we haven't really talked about these things right. So God did something in Jesus to protect your life from the things people can say and do to you. He foresaw that because sin entered the world and death by sin, that things were going to happen to your life that were going to try to torment you, that were going to try to shape your life and your thoughts about yourself in life. He saw that was going to happen to you. So he did something in Jesus to protect your life from the things people say and do to you. We just haven't really been talking about what he's done to protect us. So we haven't been having these conversations. Well, how do you do that? How does that work? Right? How is that? Well, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. So what that means is the reward sin gives people is destruction and tribulation. That's what it gives people. Destruction and tribulation. Isn't that when you feel when somebody does something to you and says something to you that isn't right? Don't you feel destruction and tribulation? That's what we feel, isn't it? So when people sin against us, it's trying to serve us with destruction. It's trying to sting your heart with death. It's trying to fill your heart with fear. It's trying to fill your heart with lack. It's trying to say you aren't as you ought to be. It's trying to tell you life is being stolen from you. It's trying to tell you your life is being corrupted. It's trying to tell you what the person said and did to you is a sign about your life. That's what's happening to you when someone sins against you. That's destruction trying to come to your house. That's destruction trying to come to your house. The forgiveness of sin is about God sending away from you the destruction that's trying to come upon your life. It's about God standing there and saying, no, like Neo in the Matrix. No. And stopping the bullets. And the way he does that is he divorces you from the life that's subject to corruption. Forgiveness, again, remember, divorce. The old man's life can be harmed by what people say and do. The old man's life do, does need acceptance from people. The old man's life does need a good reputation from the world. The old man's life can be stolen from because the old man's life is corruptible. It's earthy. 
and it derives its nourishment from all the things in the world. And so the way God separated you from the destruction that tries to come upon you from what people say and do is he divorced you from the life that's at the mercy of what people say and do. He divorced you from the life that's earthy. He divorced you from the life that's subject to corruption. He came and divorced you from that, right? Forgiveness is God doing something so you can partake with him in a life that has all things, that fills all things, that supplies all things, that justifies all things, that restores and rejuvenates and redeems and resurrects all things. The forgiveness of sin is God giving you that kind of a life that supplies all things. Well, we were busy trying to find our supply from the world. Well, he divorced you from the life that needs things from the world because now the life you have has come from above and everything you need is found in the life that's from above. Everything that you need to experience life and godliness is found in what God has done to end your union to the old man. That's why he did it. You know how Paul says the old man's dead? It wasn't just some fanciful language. It wasn't, the old man isn't the man God didn't like, and now God got rid of that man so he could like a different man. The old man is the man who could be tormented by what people say and do to them. And God saw that's a cursed life because my people are in an earth where people are never gonna say and do what's right. <laughs> and so we gotta do something to save them from that, to protect them from that, to heal them from that. That's why he brought an end to your union to the old man. That's why he clothed you in the new man. Right? That's forgiveness. I know it's difficult at this point because we've been taught for so many years. You got to get out of your mind that it has something to do with God finding a way to be delivered from his anger. Forgiveness is not God going to a 10-step anger management program. You got to remove that so that you can start having intimacy with, with what it's really about, right? Forgiveness is God getting it right to destroy your fellowship with the old man so that you can be free to partake with him in his life. And you're no longer partaking with the world in its life, right? There's a nursery rhyme I, I kind of remembered. I said we'd have a nursery rhyme. It's not in the scriptures, but I like the picture it, it paints. And we all learned this. I don't know about you guys, but we all learned this, I think. I think my parents did too. I'm rubber and you're glue. Whatever you say bounces off of me and sticks on to you. You never heard that? My goodness. You're too young. I'm rubber and you're glue. Do you see the theory behind that, though? The things people say and do to you can't stick to you. They bounce off of you. Like Superman. You think Superman's stressed out when somebody pulled a gun out? I mean, you see pictures of Superman do that, right? Like the people pull out a gun, and he just grabs them by the shirt smiling while they're shooting him, and he just flies off and drops them into prison. Here you go, warden. Well, he sees that those bullets are just going to bounce off of him. And so I'm rubber. And your glue, whatever you say, bounces off of me and sticks on to you. God did something so the sins people commit against you can't stick to you. They can't attach themselves to your life. You're not one 
with the bad things that have happened to you. If someone has done something horrible to you, if someone has caused you great pain and tribulation, look up because your life is not hid in the bad that's happened to you. Your life is not hid in the bad things people have said and done to you. Your life is hid with God in Christ. And he did that so that none of these things that happen to you can attach themselves to you. You're not one. Your life is not one with the bad things that people have said and done to you. Though the sins they committed against you were red as crimson, God has made it as white as snow. And he made it as white as snow by giving you a life that fills all things and has all things that supplies all things. God's come and clothed you in the new man who's created in true righteousness. We're clothed by God's righteousness. We're decorated with the life of God by the hand of God himself. And the reason why he did that is so we could see we have a life that can't be stolen from. So when people try to steal, our hearts say they can't steal from us. And we're still whole instead of broken and shattered. Right? Does that make any sense? When people say and do things and you feel that sting, you will feel it. Understand it's the sting of death. Understand there's only one answer that can heal the sting of death. It's the life God has in himself. Start realizing that's why God poured out of himself his life onto you. So you could have that kind of a life that can't be stolen from. So that when people say and do things that try to steal from you, your heart is kept from stumbling at the truth about yourself and about your life and about them. Right? So that your heart is kept from being shaped by offense. You see what I'm saying? So maybe someone sinned against you. Maybe you see your life was stolen from and harmed by what they did. God is saying to you right now, that's not your life. He put off of you that life at the cross. He put that life off of you at the cross and he raised your life up and sat your life above every principality and power, everything that could ever come against your life in this world. He did that because he cares about your life and because he's always been with you protecting your life. That's actually the only thing that can protect your life is if he can give you a life that's from above and not from the earth. He cares deeply. He cares more than we care. I mean, he actually came and took into himself all the trespasses and sins anyone could ever commit against us. He came and took all of those same things people have said and done to us. He took it into himself. And one of the main reasons he took it into himself is so that in his life, swallowing that all up, we could see that he has a life that can't be stolen from so that we could be healed from the trespasses and sins people commit against us. Imagine the great list this guy went to to heal us from the sting of death and the pain and the trauma that we could encounter. He came and stood in the face of it just to prove to us that he has a life that can't be stolen from. And the only way he could do that is if everything that tries to steal came against him and then he stood back up. What? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for destroying our fellowship with the corruption in the world. Thank you, Lord, that you've, you've forbid the trespasses people commit against us. 
from being attached to our life. Thank you, Father, that you've given us of yourself your life, a life that can't be stolen from. Thank you, Father, that you're working in the hearts of people. Lord, I just thank you that you open their eyes to what the forgiveness of sin is and how they see that's you sending away from them all the hurtful things people have said and done to them and that the way you've sent it away from them is by clothing them in your life. I thank you, Father, that the next time somebody says and does something to them and they feel that their nakedness is uncovered and that they don't have some good thing they need, I thank you, Father, that they look up and they see your hand there stretched forth towards them, clothing them in life. I thank you, Father, that you send away the trauma that's come against people's lives, that you send away the pain that's come against people's lives. I thank you, Father, that the walls people have built up in their heart trying to protect themselves from pain. I thank you, Father, that those walls begin coming down. I thank you, Lord, that the trigger points that have a thorn stuck in them, Lord, like a splinter and stuck in people's hearts, Lord, I thank you, Father, that that splinter be, is being pulled out, Lord, that their trigger points are being healed inside of people, that they're no longer triggered by what people say and do because their lives have been healed, Lord, from the trauma they've experienced, Lord, and that their lives have been healed by your life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Thank you guys so much. I love y'all. God loves y'all. Your lives are precious. Start talking with God about what he did to protect your life from what people say or do. Even if you begin there, just engage in a conversation with him. Next time someone says or does something to you that hurts you, ask God, ask God, hear the voice of God. Why does this hurt so bad? And allow yourself to get caught up in this conversation with God and start to realize he's there with you. He has everything you need you'll start experiencing the wholeness that he came for us to have. He came for us to experience wholeness, right? He didn't come for us to just dwell in brokenness and then wait for one day to not feel broken anymore. You can be healed from the brokenness now. Thank you, Jesus. Y'all are awesome. Thanks for coming here today.